We are in a series called Explore God, where we've been tackling some of the tougher questions around God and theology and who he is. And we've talked about the Bible and if, is it reliable or not. We've talked about Jesus and could he be who he claimed to be. In the next few weeks, we're going to hit some hard-hitting questions. Next week, we talk about hell and suffering. Then we talk about kind of the fact that we were born in America. Are we just Christians because we're American? How does that play into all of this? In three weeks, we're talking about, uh, maybe I'm flip-flopping them, but this month, we're also talking about all the hard stuff in the Bible. We have the God of, what is it, the God of slavery, sexism and slaughter is one of the weeks that I get to preach on. I'm delighted to be here with you. So if you're just coming to watch me squirm, we're glad you're here. Uh, But this week we're going to hit a bit of a hinge question that talks about how Christianity relates to all the other religions of the world. And so if you want to take notes today, we have handouts you can grab on your way in. And if you grabbed one, there's some blanks. Uh, It's also in the Three Crosses app. You can open that. And if you didn't get one, it's fine. You can grab one on the way out. On the bottom of our outline today, you will see a couple of recommended resources. One is Rebecca McLaughlin's book, Confronting Christianity. She does a great three chapters on this topic today. Uh, And one is every Wednesday night in this room. You're all invited to come and hear us uh, wrestle with these questions and more uh, at our Explore God conversation. So that's all on the bottom of your notes. But we will dive in right now with a question. It's a diagnostic question. Does it ever trouble you that every major world religion claims to have a corner on truth? And there are 6.9 billion people in the world. And each one of those individuals has had to make a personal decision of who God is and what he demands of them. And most of those 6.9 billion people, 84% of those 6.9 billion people have have found the answers to those questions within one of the major religions of the world. One out of every three people on planet Earth claims that Jesus is God in the flesh. Or 25% of the world's population believe in Allah as part of the Muslim faith. Uh, 15% of the world's population claims uh, some sort of iteration of a Hindu faith background. 7% of the world's population is Buddhist. 0.2% of the world's population has a Jewish faith understanding. These are the major religions of this world, not to mention the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people all over the world who believe in in different kind of ancestor-related tribal religions or indigenous religions from the places they were born. So many religions, all to answer the same question, who is God? And what does he require of us? And the tension in that is, is that these religions have contradicting answers to that question. So if you're a Christian in this room, I would guess that if there was a major religion in this room, it would be Christianity. If you're a Christian in this room, you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And in believing that, you believe that there are billions of people around this world who just got this one wrong, right? And if you're a Muslim person, you believe that Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. And there are billions of people in this world who got this one wrong. And this is, like we said last week, a big question you have to get right. And yet, no matter which of the world religions is correct, it leaves billions of other human beings with a misunderstanding of who God is and what he requires of us. 
which leads some people to say, right, if you're a Christian, it might lead you to say, I got to go out and tell everyone about Jesus because we want everyone to know the truth. But it's created other people who say, you know what? It's hard for me to swallow the fact that most of the world got this one wrong. So is there a chance that maybe all of us are right in some way? Ever heard this? Maybe God is too big to be contained in any one world religion. Maybe there's truth in every religion, right? Because there's so many wars that are fought over religion, so many families are split apart over religion, so many Thanksgiving conversations have been made awkward by religion, right? Maybe we're just all right, right? Maybe your Hindu faith works for you, and my Christian faith works for me, and your Muslim faith works for you, and your Jewish faith works for you. Maybe all of us are right, because maybe at the end of the day, religion is just whatever works for, for you. It was a an analogy that sometimes is used in this conversation. It comes uh, from the country of India. It's uh, called the blind men and the elephant. How many of you heard the blind men and the elephant analogy? All right, if you haven't, I'll fill you in. Uh, this is the, the understanding is that three blind men or multiple blind men approach an elephant. They've never seen an elephant. They've never experienced an elephant. They're exploring an elephant. Like we explore God, they're exploring an elephant for the first time. And the first blind man comes across the front of the elephant and he grabs a hold of the trunk and declares dogmatically, I know what an elephant is. An elephant is much like a snake, right? I, can, I felt it. I could prove it. Right? And the next guy, he's come across the middle of the elephant. He's holding the, the side of the element. He says, no, you're wrong. An elephant is like a wall, a strong and mighty brick wall. He's nothing like a snake. And then the third guy is grabbing the leg of the elephant. He says, I don't know what you guys have discovered, but I'm here at the elephant and I got to say that you're wrong. An elephant is like a mighty tree, a trunk that goes for, for feet and feet up in the air. It's like a giant tree. You're wrong. I'm right. Right. And the fourth guy drew the short straw, I guess. And so he's holding the elephant's tail and he's like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't really know what an elephant is, but it's nothing like what you've described. Right. And, and each of these men through this own vantage point of an elephant have discovered a piece of a truth, but none of them, since they're blind, can see the truth as a whole. And people say, well, that, that's what religion is. Right? Christianity gives you one glimpse of God, and Islam gives you one glimpse of God, and, and maybe Mormonism gives you one glimpse of God, and Judaism gives you a glimpse of God. And if you put them all together, they're all describing the same God, right? That God is too big to be contained in any one of the world's religions. That is what we're going to talk about today. The question, you'll see it on the top of your outline, is can one religion hold all the answers? And I don't want to pull any punches with you. I was talking to a guy in the parking lot before church this morning. He said, what are you preaching about? And I said, well, I'm preaching about this question. Can one religion have all the answers? And I said, if, if you want to skip church, I'll give you the short version. The answer is yes, and it's Christianity, right? That's, that's where we're going today. And yet, I, I am saying that because we're coming from a Christian perspective of these questions, but at the same time, I am we are not today going to build a case why Christianity is better than all these other major world religions. What we're going to do today is, is wrestle with the fundamental question of, of can we all be right in some way, right? Is there a door that can be opened to the fact that every religion somehow has some access to the truth? We're going to talk about that. And after answering that question, I'm going to close by just presenting, hey, these are the distinct truths about Christianity that makes it different from the other world religions. So you can be informed on what this religion believes. And so we're going to look at this elephant analogy. And I want to show you two places that I feel like the elephant analogy falls short. 
But before I do that, I want to give some dignity to the elephant analogy, um, loving people, because what I do believe is that if you're someone who kind of likes that elephant, blind man and the elephant story, it's most likely because you're trying to have a humble take on this question of religious exclusivity. Or sometimes it feels like religious people are arrogant, like maybe I'm arrogant, declaring Christianity is the truth, or Islam's the truth, or Judaism's the truth, or even Jesus, like we said last week, saying, I am the truth. And so maybe a more humble approach is saying, well, maybe we're all right in some way. And I discovered that. I was looking at this elephant analogy. I found a poetic version of it. And I'm going to read this poem to you. It's not going to make any sense, but it sounds really cool. And then I'm going to tell you what it means. But we'll put it on the screen. This is how the poem ends. It says, So oft in theologic wars, the disputants I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prate about an elephant not one of them has seen. What this means is, So often, when we're in these fights over God and theology and who he is, we see all of these different religious people arguing dogmatically from a place of ignorance about how they're right and everyone else is wrong about a God, an elephant, that none of them have ever seen. And so this is the idea that if we've never seen God, how can we be so sure that we know what he's like? Can't we say we're all blind and somehow we're all right, right? That's the posture that's coming to this conversation, right? And so the two reasons I feel like this falls short, though, number one, you can write this down, is that the argument that all religions are somehow compatible is logically impossible. I'll tell you why. But the argument that all religions are somehow compatible is logically impossible. It just, it doesn't hold logical water. Because part of the question is, is there some bit of goodness or truth in every world religion, right? And in a lot of ways, yes, right? There can be goodness in every one of the world religions. I had a friend who uh, moved from here to Utah, which if you're familiar with Utah, there's a lot of Mormons in Utah. And she just said, man, I feel like God is calling me to move to Utah to reach out to the Mormons and tell them about Christianity. And and I'm going to love them. I'm going to serve them. And I'm going to show them that Jesus Christ is the only way. Six months later, she comes back, and she's like, right, tail between her legs, haggard, gasping for breath, and she says, Danny, I tried to love the Mormons. I try to serve the Mormons. She said, you need to understand, you cannot out-love the Mormons. She's like, every day there's a new casserole on my porch, right? Every day there's a new person who wants to give my kids rides to school. They're trying to evangelize me, and they're so much better at it than I am. I just can't keep up, right? And, and so to answer the question, is there goodness in the Mormon understanding of faith? Well, sure, man. It's creating these amazing, loving, servant-minded, family-oriented people. That's a good thing. Right? Maybe you're at work and it comes to the season of Ramadan and you have a lot of friends at work who are, are Muslim and, and they fast and they're diligent and they're devoted. And you think, man, that devotion to God, I, sometimes I don't have that devotion to God. Is devotion to God a good thing? Yes, right? There's, there can be some goodness that comes out of, of any world religion. Right? Even when it comes to the concept of truth, even truth about God. Is there truth about God in all the world religions? Well, probably Right? depending on your vantage point. Right? If your Muslim friend says, well, hey, I believe that God is holy and it's our job to submit to him, you'd be like, well, yeah, I, I believe that too. 
right? If your Jewish friend said, I believe that God is a covenant keeper and he holds fast to his people and he keeps his promises, you'd say, well, yeah, I, I believe that too, right? These are different religions, and they all have different glimpses of truth, right? So it can be easy to say, well, if you put all those little minor truth claims together, you can form the elephant that is God, right? Grab a little bit of truth from every major world religion. But here's where it breaks down. Is that as you kind of walk through the weeds and get to the core of what every major world religion believes about God, you'll realize pretty quickly that the God that each religion believes in is incompatible with the God of the religion next door, right? So for example, right, maybe you're just talking about atheism versus theism, right? Well, maybe my atheist friend is right and I'm right, right? That's logically impossible, right? There is no God or there is, right? There is not both, right? Your atheist friend can say, no, 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 we're both right because you believe in a God. I know he's not there, but your belief in God does something for you even though he's not real, right? Well, if that's true, he was right, you were wrong, right? There was not a God. That's not the same thing. Those religions can't be simultaneously, not that atheism's a religion, but they can't be simultaneously true, right? When it comes to monotheism versus polytheism, right? There are several religions in the world that believe there are many gods, right? Hinduism, we talked about Mormonism, right? There are many gods, a polytheistic understanding. Then there's these monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, Christianity. There's only one God. We're not both right, right? There's either lots of gods, or there's only one God. There can't be one and lots of gods, right? Unless you say, well, technically, we're both right, right? There is one God, but there's also a lot of other gods, right? So the Christians, you're right. You just missed like a billion of the gods. The reason that doesn't work is because every one of the monotheistic religions has declarative truth statements in their religious construct that there is only one God and there are not many gods, right? Judaism, Christianity, and even Islam all hold on to Deuteronomy 6 where God says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it's a declarative statement from thousands of years ago where the monotheistic religions all said, as opposed to the neighboring nations that believe there are many gods, we're putting that truth to rest, that falsehood to rest. There is only one God and this is who he is, right? They're adamantly opposed to one another. There's one God or many gods or no gods. There can't be all three, right? Within the monotheistic religions, right? Christianity, versus Judaism, right? Either Jesus is the Messiah for the Jews or he's not. He can't be both the Messiah and not the Messiah at the same time, right? Christianity versus Islam. Either Muhammad is the prophet or Jesus is the final prophet. They can't both be the final prophet. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And if you say, well, you're both right, then the Muslims are right because they're both prophets. But if we say, no, only Jesus is the prophet, the Christians are right. They can't both be right. And so all I'm saying is that when you look at the fundamental truth claims that religious, religions use to set themselves apart from one another, the fundamental truths of every religion are logically impossible to combine. That's how they differentiate themselves because they believe in different understandings of God. And so this humility question, right? Where do we find humility in religion? I, I would put out there that, that humility is not saying, well, maybe all of us are right, but maybe humility is something, a posture that we adopt within ourselves as we seek the truth, even as we wrestle with folks who believe different things. I think we could be humble as we seek the truth. Not humble by saying there is no truth, but humble as we seek the truth. I was thinking this week of some different uh, friends I've gotten to make over the years from different faith traditions. I, I got to 
as a pastor, kind of connect with faith leaders from different world religions. And so I've got to go down to the Shirami temple um, and talk with a couple of the rabbis and their synagogue about Christianity and what we believe about Jesus. I got to connect with uh, a Muslim cleric out in Pleasanton and visit his mosque and walk around and have lunch with him and talk about what they believe. And, and I just need you to know, as I sit down with these different faith leaders, neither of us on either side of the table is thinking that we're both right about our religions, right? Each of us believe, right? I, I believe, okay, I, Christianity is the way to God. And unfortunately, Muhammad is not, right? The Muslim is thinking Muhammad is the prophet who, who helps us to see who Allah is. And unfortunately, the Christians got it wrong. We're, we're thinking that. We're thinking that humbly, but neither of us are thinking that we're both right because we know that's logically impossible. And so we have conversation and we build relationship and they ask questions and I ask questions about the truth of their religion, trying to not figure out if there's a way both of us could be right because we know we can't. But, but really to build relationship and to see what God does probably from each of our sides of the table as we talk about the holes and the question marks around the other person's faith, understanding, and our own, right? So in humility... It's the posture with which we approach this conversation of who is the one God or the many gods. Humility is not saying for some reason this truth is unknowable or somehow we're all right. Second week of the series, Pastor Larry talked about this, this idea of apologetics from 1 Peter 3, right, which we'll put on the screen. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But in this humility concept, we'll look at this next part. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Do this with gentleness and respect. Humility is holding this truth that you found with a posture of gentleness and love and self-control as you go and share it with other people. So the first reason that, that every religion cannot be partially right is because uh, those, those premises are logically impossible. And yet, I would say that if you've ever wrestled with this, you're probably wrestling with it more at an emotional level than a logical level. I remember when I was first exploring faith in, in Christianity, faith in Jesus, uh, one, that was one of my biggest hang-ups, was that the Christians seemed to think that they got it right and everyone else got it wrong. I remember I had a friend who is a Christian, and I was not yet a Christian, and, and she was inviting me to church, and I said, well, well, what do you believe about all our other friends who aren't Christians? And she had some nice way of saying, I think they're all going to hell, right? And, and I'm like, well, what about this person? I mentioned my friend Sarah. My Sarah, Sarah grew up in the synagogue. She's a Jewish young lady. We were young people. And, and I said, she's really devout to Judaism. And she's like, well, Sarah needs to find out that Jesus is the Messiah of her, her people. And, and I thought, well, that's, that's not fair. Right? That, she seems like a good person. I seem like a good person. You're a good person. How come some of us are going to hell and some of us are going to heaven just because of what we believe about God, right? And I don't know what she said to me, but I remember thinking, I don't know if I like this, th that most of the world is going to hell if one of the religions got it right, right? This is what, one of those things that tempts us to say, well, maybe all of us are right in some way. I also, as I was studying this, I was looking at the map of the world, and most of the major world religions are geographically located. Right? Most of the 15% of the population who are Hindu background are in India and in the nations surrounding India. Most of the Muslim people that we see in the 25% of the world who are Muslim are in the Middle East and Northern Africa. Most of the Christians in the world are in South America or in Africa and South America and in the West. Right? A lot of atheists are in the 
right, communist countries and in the post-religious West, right? There are Buddhist people are in Southeast Asia. There's a geographical concept that comes with faith. And so some people say, well, this is by part of this is unfair, right? You're only a Christian because you were in the good fortune to be born into a Christian country, wherever you were born, where Christianity was proclaimed or a Christian family, right? It's no fair that all these people are not going to have access to the one true God because they were born in a place that believes other things, right? And so these are some big questions, some big emotional questions. These are the questions that make us think, well, maybe we can just agree that all of us are wrong and we're all blind men stumbling around in the dark finding parts of God, right? I said at the beginning, these are big questions. Next week, we're going to talk about hell. The week after that, we're going to talk about is Christianity made in America? What I want to talk about as we kind of close up this concept of can we all be right is I want to circle back to this elephant analogy and say, I want to tell you what my fundamental problem is with the analogy. Because like I said, it's, it's attempting to be humble. It's trying to say, well, maybe we're all right. Maybe God is unknowable. Maybe no one can see. Maybe we're a bunch of blind men stumbling around in the darkness. But, but I don't think the elephant analogy accomplishes what it sets out to do. I think what it sets out to do is to go against kind of the dogmatism, right, of, of me, the blind man, grabbing a microphone and saying, Hear ye, hear ye, all ye blind people, I can now see, right? God is Jesus, and you're all wrong, and I'm right. And then the Muslim person grabbing the mic from me and saying, no, 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 don't listen to him. He's blind, I can see, right? Muhammad is the prophet, Allah is the one true God, and you're wrong, and I'm right. And then the Buddhist person grabbing the mic and saying, don't listen to those guys, right? They're blind, I can see. There is no God, it's within ourselves, we find nirvana. Right? Then the Hindu person grabbing and saying, you're all wrong, right? You're blind, I can see. There are millions of gods, and this is my understanding standing and I'm right and you're wrong. I can see you're blind. And so the humble approach tries to grab the microphone back and say, listen, listen, listen. Maybe we're all blind. Maybe we're all just grabbing a piece of the same God that is this elephant. Maybe all of us cannot see. And it feels like a humble approach, but let me tell you why it's not. I'm having a fake microphone here. It's because in that moment, What the person who's declaring the elephant to be God is doing is saying this the same thing as every religious leader did down that line is saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're all wrong. You're all blind. I can see what God is like. He is like a whole elephant and I'm right and all of you are wrong. I I think my major problem with the elephant analogy as humble as it sets out to be is that the humble approach that we're all blind is not as humble as we'd hoped. Because at the end of the day, if God is like all of those things, then that person's right. Or if God is like Allah, then the Muslims are right. Or if God is like this, then the Christians are right. Or if God doesn't exist, then the Buddhists are right, right? One of us is right, or all of us are wrong. We cannot all be right at the same time. And people in the religions know it. And the people who are outside of the religions saying, you're all wrong, this is what God's really like, are doing the same thing, right? Oprah says, I don't know if she still says this, this was 20 years ago, but Oprah says, right, God is at the top of a mountain and every major world religion has just a different trailhead, but they all lead to the top of the mountain, right? That's her grabbing the microphone and saying, you guys are all wrong. I know who God is, you don't, right? She's doing the same thing. It's not as humble as you'd think, right? Where we land in this conversation, can one religion have all the answers? The answer is yes, One religion can have all the answers, or no religion can have the answers, but all the religions can't have the answers simultaneously. 
Either one of us is right or none of us is right. There is no world where multiple ones among us are right, right? And so that puts us back on this quest. If you're one of the 6.9 billion people who walk the earth today, to discover who is God and what does he require of you? Last week we said, you better get this one right. (laughs) Someday you're going to stand before this God if he's real and he's going to know, what what did you do with me while you were here on planet earth, right? What, What was that quest like to find me? And so whether you're trying to find him through the Muslim faith or find him through the Hindu faith or the Christian faith, that's the quest that you're on. I've actually talked to a ton of people even this month already who have been finding their way into Christianity from other faith backgrounds. I talked to a couple last week who grew up for generations, grew up Hindu background in India, and uh, they just started feeling like, this husband was telling me, he was feeling like there was something missing in the Hindu religion, and so he goes to his mom and says, hey, why do we believe what we believe? And she said, well, we believe what we believe because it's what our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents believed. And he said, I just didn't, that didn't satisfy me. I'm looking for a faith that has like a reasonable foundation underneath it. And so he had a friend who said, have you read the Holy Bible? That's a faith religious book from Christianity and other religions. He said, what's that? Uh, He got him one and he said, so I I read it a little bit. I didn't understand it. Then I came to church here and I'm glad we're talking about this right now, right? So he's on this quest. What is the truth? The capital T truth about who God is. I talked to a number of people this morning after the first service who uh, I talked about Mormonism a little bit. They said, hey, that's my story. I came out of Mormonism and every week she said, I I go to temple and I was just felt so guilty because I was never good enough and I finally just burned out and then I show up here and I hear this message about Jesus and that he was good enough so I don't have to be and it's like this weight is lifted off of me, right? She's on a quest for truth, right? So hopefully you're on a quest for truth And at our church, we don't want you to be at a place where you're going to say, hey, Christianity is good for me, right? We want you to believe this if it's true. And if it's true, put your whole life into it. And if it's not, go find out what is true and put your whole life into it. And so what I want to do as we close today is you'll see the rest of the blanks on the outline. I just want to tell you this, this is what marks Christianity and distinguishes it from other religions. This is the core of what Christians believe. So if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. Number one, in the Christian religion, we believe that God is unknowable unless he reveals himself to us. God is unknowable unless he reveals himself to us. We see in the scriptures, and we know from our own selves, that that we can get an idea that God exists by looking at nature, by looking within ourselves. There's something in us, right? We hold our newborn baby, and we're like, there must be a God in the heavens. Nature reveals that God exists in some way, but it's not enough to know right, who he is and what he requires of us. We see in the Christian religion that the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, is the primary way that God reveals himself to us. We call the Bible the revelation of God because he reveals who he is to us through the Bible, through the prophets, through the writings, right, through all these things. And finally, this is the second point on there, that where Christianity lands is that God has ultimately revealed himself through Jesus Christ. This is what marks Christianity out from all the other world religions, right? If you're Latter-day Saints, there were no Latter-day Saints. Jesus was the last saint. He was the last prophet, right? If you're Muslim, Christians would say, no, Muhammad was not the prophet. Jesus was the final prophet, right? Even if an angel from heaven should reveal to you a gospel other than what's been delivered, let him be condemned, right? So Muhammad was mistaken. Joseph Smith was mistaken. Jesus was the last prophet according to the Christian religion. God has ultimately revealed himself through Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, who walked with Jesus and says in his book, I saw him, I touched him, I'm telling you what I experienced. He says in verse 18 that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, 
He's talking about Jesus Christ, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. John says we, we knew God in the scriptures, we knew the Messiah was coming, but then Jesus was God incarnate. He made him known. God has ultimately revealed himself through Jesus Christ. Third, a distinctive of the Christian religion is that God saves us through placing faith in Jesus. God saves us by placing our faith in Jesus. Two things about Christianity that are powerful in this phrase. One is that we believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world and that he rose from the grave to give life for anyone who believes. And so for Christianity, what this point is making is that if you believe in him, if you cling to him, ask for his forgiveness, that is how you get access to God and stand in God's favor is through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? This point also is what demarcates Christianity from every other major religion in the world. This is the one thing that we stand apart in this phrase, not merely about Jesus, but Christianity is the only religion that believes this. God has accepted us, and so we live in obedience out of our thanksgiving. So every other religion believes that we obey God in order to maybe someday be accepted by him. Right? If you're Muslim, you believe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these motions, I'm going to pilgrimage to Mecca, I'm going to pray seven times, and I'm hoping that through my obedience to God, someday when I stand before him, the scales will weigh on my favor and I'll get into heaven. Right? If you're a Mormon person, the Mormon person I was talking to today was saying, I just felt like I was just always hoping I could do enough to earn God's favor so that someday... I would hear those words, enter heaven, not depart from me, right? Every major religion is based on obey now and pray for the best. Christianity flips that whole thing on its head and says, no, God has already accepted you. Your sins have been paid for through Jesus. Your life has been guaranteed through Jesus. Your faith in Jesus alone gets you access to God. If you stand before God someday, and you will after you die, He is not going to judge you based on what you did. He's going to judge you based on, do you have faith in Jesus? And if you believe in Jesus, right, like Paul said, even though he was the worst sinner, Christ died for him, and he's entered into the kingdom of heaven because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Like, that is a a hallmark of the Christian religion. God saves us through placing faith in Jesus. And with the exclusivity part, Christians believe that Jesus is the only way to find access to God. Right, and this is not something that Christians made up over the years to like pit the religions against themselves. This is what Jesus said himself in John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right, so there's good news and bad news in that one phrase. Right? The good news is if you've come to this place and you hear these words of Jesus who say, I, I am the way to enter into the kingdom of God. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Trust in me. I'll forgive your sins. Believe me. I'll give you new life. Cling to me. I'm your only hope. You found the answer, right? Like Jesus says, this is the treasure hidden in the field. This is the pearl of great price. You found the thing that everyone is looking for. That's the good news. And the bad news is, anywhere else you look is not going to satisfy you. Any other religion will not have these answers. Any other way of life will not give the satisfaction only Jesus is the pathway to the Father, right? He doesn't just say, I'm the way to heaven. He says, I'm the truth, right? I am the way to walk in the light. He says, I am the life. I'm the only way to get abundance in this life. I am what you're looking for, right? So if you're here today and you feel like you've been looking everywhere for truth, 
I don't want you to leave without hearing that, that truth, capital T truth, is found in Jesus Christ. He is the one that you need. He's the one that you've been looking for. And more than that, he is the one who's been looking for you. And your job is to simply surrender to him and say, Jesus, you found me. <laughs> what do you expect of me? And you hear Jesus saying, I just want you to trust me. I, I want to forgive your sins. I want to give you a new life. I want to teach you how to live. I want to show you the way to live, not just in heaven, but the way to live on this earth. I, I want to live in a relationship with you. And if, if that's something you're ready to do today, we would love to come alongside you in that. I'm going to pray a prayer at the end of my sermon that, that you're welcome to pray along with me in your heart. Or if you want to talk to somebody, Pastor Ian will be out at the prayer room today to talk to anyone who's ready to step into faith with Jesus or if you're exploring what that means. Or maybe you see prayer in our prayer room. We'd love to talk to you today. If you're not a believer yet, that's what Christians say is the answer. And like every other world religion, I will tell you this, that I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the only way to God and there is nothing better you can do in this world than submit your life to him, right? If you are someone who's been a Christian for a long time, you're like, I got it, I found this treasure, what do I do with it, right? Share it, right? Go and tell other people. Pray for folks you know who need the Lord, just like everyone in every other religion is praying for the folks they know who need their God, right? Do the same and ask God to expand his kingdom throughout all the earth because the truth is, like we'll talk about next week, there are billions of people around the world who are dying without hope because they've never heard this message. And the scriptures tell us, how will they hear unless God sends someone to them? So let me pray for us and then we'll respond in worship together. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to see where we fit in all of this. Some of us are today finding ourselves outside of faith with you, and, and your invitation is that we would step inside of faith with you. I pray that folks would respond to that invitation. That they come to you even in this moment now and say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I've been searching for love or searching for truth or searching for fulfillment or searching for fill in the blank in all these other places. And I believe that in you and only in you is life. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I want to come to the Father through you. I place my faith in you for eternal life. If that's you today and you pray that prayer, just be assured that the death of Jesus pays for your sins. The resurrection of Jesus seals your new life. He will give you life even in this moment as you trust in him. For those of you who are wrestling, those of us who are wrestling, because sometimes it feels like it, some of these things are too exclusive or too arrogant. And I pray that you would give us uh, just some wisdom around how to hold deeply to the truths that we found in, in Jesus Christ with humility. Let us, let us become people who are prepared to share about the hope that we found with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, even when people are making fun of us or, or tearing us down for our faith. Help us never to become a church filled with people who are arrogant or braggadocious or Bible thumpers or whatever, but help us be a place where um, we are humble people who once were blind, now can see. And now we're, like Brendan Manning said, just one beggar telling another where to find food. Let us approach this concept of truth with humility, but also with assuredness. And let us share the hope that we found with others knowing that we found something beautiful that's worth sharing. 
And even as we sing this next song and declare these truths that Christians have been declaring for almost 2,000 years, let us remember that we're part of something bigger than us, that precedes us, that will exist after us. But let us have our hearts be filled knowing that, that someday in eternity, we'll all be singing this song together because what is true, because of what is true about Jesus and about you that we find in these lyrics. We pray that you'd guide us and be with us even as we declare these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.